it's very important for us to uh, continue that in a relationship, especially like a reputable, you know, national re- uh, regulatory authority like TGA, and sort of learn as much as we can. And, and also for other reputable national regulatory authorities, because for them, like they, they've done that yaka in terms of, say, assessment, uh, they've uh, sort of assessed products that are already on the market. And for, for us, you know, it, it wouldn't be a good idea to, you know, reinvent the wheel, uh, like, you know, go back and give in the resources that we have. Welcome to Contain This. I'm Robin Davies, the head of the Australian government's Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. Over the past three months, COVID-19 vaccines have begun to arrive in our region. The journey of a vaccine to your arm isn't simply the story of a factory, some vials, an aeroplane, a fridge and a nurse. It also involves many months of vaccine research and development, clinical trials, government approvals and ongoing monitoring for safety and quality after the vaccine is administered. Today we're looking at one essential step in the process. How do regulators in neighbouring countries make decisions about which COVID-19 vaccines should be approved for use? We're pleased to be able to bring you insights into how the officials in PNG's Pharmaceutical Services Standards Branch in the National Department of Health were supported with technical assistance in the months prior to the arrival of the first COVID-19 vaccine doses in PNG. The Centre for Health Security, with funding from Australia's Regional Vaccine Access and Health Security Initiative, has enabled the Therapeutic Goods Administration, a specialised body within Australia's Department of Health, to assist the PNG regulator to prepare for a safe and successful vaccine rollout. We first asked adjunct professor John Skerritt, who heads the TGA, to explain how relationships have been built with regulators in the region over the last five years. So we've had a relationship uh, with DFAT for about the last four to five years. Uh, It was recognised, I guess, going back uh, in the the mid-2000, mid-2000, but uh, a major barrier to getting new medicines for communicable diseases such as malaria and TB was actually uh, that countries didn't have well-developed regulatory systems. And so there might be a new medicine that's much more effective for a particular type of tuberculosis, but uh, was not getting into developing countries, uh, especially developing countries uh, at the lower end of of, uh, incomes, uh, because the regulatory systems didn't have a capacity to be able to review those products in a timely manner. And so, therefore, their people were not getting access to it. On the other hand, the more developed countries that are becoming middle-income economies still were were facing challenges as some of the technologies and products, such as gene technologies and so on, and tissue products, were becoming more sophisticated. So whether it was the poorer countries in the region or the... uh, middle-income countries in the region, uh, both expressed a need for partnership with uh, Australia. And so DFAT uh, funded that uh, partnership and it, and it uh, built on some long-standing relationships, but it was but the funding provided a mechanism for face-to-face and also remote interactions to help build the capacity of those countries. At the same time, there was a separate initiative in the Pacific. A lot of the Pacific countries were procuring the lowest cost product for a lot of their medicines to treat things such as diabetes, high blood pressure and so on. And yet either the quality of what they were buying 
or the way in which those products were stored or both meant that often the medicine had broken down. So you might have a medicine for someone with diabetes that by the time it reached someone in Tonga had actually broken down and was effectively uh, not doing what it should do. And so we established a partnership with uh, over a dozen Pacific Island countries where we could test those medicines in our laboratories and see whether certain sources and certain ones have broken down and therefore whether they should be discarded and also whether particular suppliers should be avoided for that, for that reason. DFAT has two existing programs with the TGA. The Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security supports the Regulatory Strengthening Program, which focuses on six countries in Southeast Asia as well as PNG and is targeted at improving regulatory systems for medicines, mostly in relation to infectious diseases. The Pacific Medicines Testing Program, funded by DFAT's Office of the Pacific, has a different focus. It involves TGA testing antibiotics and medicines for non-communicable diseases on behalf of 12 Pacific Island countries to ensure they're of good quality. It's currently being relaunched as the Pacific Pharmaceutical Laboratory Testing Program and will now include personal protective equipment and COVID-19 treatments and will also offer assistance to Timor-Leste. Adjunct Professor Skerritt says the people-to-people connections have been one of the most important early outcomes of the two programs. So it, it, it built on, it built on, everything's built on relationships. And uh, then the fact that we had this technical working relationship uh, more recently meant that when COVID came along, we'd already established partnerships with many of the Southeast Asian countries that were in scope and also many of the Pacific Island nations. There were established face-to-face relationships and from both sides. So if we have a question, say, of the Thais or a question of the people in PNG or, or, or a question, say, of the Indonesians, we can pick up the phone, we can email each other because we've met, we've worked together in the past and there's a degree of trust. But there's also a degree of understanding of each other's systems, facilities, resources. It enables us to be realistic. So we're not here about trying to, say, copy and clone the Australian regulatory system into a country like Vanuatu or a country like Cambodia or even a country like Indonesia. Our resources will be different, whether it be training, whether it be money, whether it be physical infrastructure. And then we've got to understand that and have systems where countries can still play a role, they can have the final say about whether products are appropriate or not, and we can work with them and support them, but it can be relevant to the resources that they have and their requirements at the time. The Australian government's approach in providing this technical assistance has been to take a whole-of-regulatory-systems approach to build each country's capacity to improve access to high-quality, safe and effective medicines and medical products for the diagnosis, treatment and prevention of diseases. The programs also recognise how important it is to build relationships and trust to encourage open information exchange. Well, we have to respect uh, that, for example, about approving a medicine or approving a vaccine. It's a country's sovereign decision, both whether or not they approve a product and also how they deploy the product. So, for example, there's a lot of interest in Papua New Guinea at the moment as to whether vaccines should be used and which vaccines should be used in different age groups. Now, that is the Papua New Guinean sovereign and final decision. Our role is to be as open as possible and share what information and knowledge we have 
but recognise that we're not there to tell them what to do. Uh, it's for them to make the final decision of how they want to proceed with a particular product. Vali Caro is the acting manager for the Pharmaceutical Services Standards Branch, which is the body within the PNG National Department of Health that supports pharmaceutical and medical product registration. It's also known as the country's National Regulatory Authority, or NRA. Vali has been involved with establishing the relationship with Australia's Therapeutic Goods Administration over the last five years. For us, like... uh... For us, we are sort of uh, young in terms of development as an NRA. We haven't sort of come to the level of uh, uh, maturity, you know, when you compare us with TGA. So, I mean, that, that's, that's where we come in. So we need every, every assistance that's, uh, you know, uh, available to us to sort of uh, capacity build ourselves and uh, RSP is sort of the opportunity provided. And we sort of, you know, we took that opportunity and sort of rode on that one. Uh, I mean, even uh, even before the the vaccine came onto onto the scene, there was like when the pandemic uh, sort of commenced. uh, I think TGA sort of took the initiative to to come to us and ask us whether, you know, if there was anything, anything they could help, you know, with regard, uh, re- with regard to the, to, to what was the, the pandemic, what the pandemic was creating. And, uh, you know, so the, they, they were sort of open, open to us. And then when the you know, vaccine thing came, then, you know, it just sort of fall into place, like, you know, but, but uh, otherwise the openness was there. The communication was there already, even before the vaccine came anywhere. So, Mary Currie is the Product Registration Technical Advisor at PNG's Pharmaceutical Services Standards Branch. She has built relationships with TGA staff during workshops that are aimed to strengthen all regulatory functions, including manufacturing inspection, licensing, compliance, as well as assessment and registration of medicines. Currie says that during workshops... Joint work plans were created that led to improvements being made to internal processes, such as standard operating procedures, supported by ongoing assistance from TGA. Yeah, the approach itself was very good. We have learned a lot and we were able to identify what needs to be um, um, put into the SOP. Yes, yes. We, we, we were having that um, very good relationship with those um um, officers from the TGA, so it it was good, and um, we we sort of we feel free. So any questions that we sort of needs clarification, we just you know send an email to them, and they were able to answer it on the spot. Yeah, like immediately. So it, it was it was really good. Yeah. So we don't have to like um, wait and put something together when we feel that, you know, there's something that we need clarification or um, technical advice on that. We, we just send an email and they were able to, to respond to it. That was good. During 2020, Australia started to plan how it was going to support the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. Our experience in the Indo-Pacific region led the Australian government to realise that many of our neighbours would need comprehensive end-to-end support 
ranging from the procurement of vaccine doses, delivery logistics, training health workers, and strengthening reporting and recording systems. On the regulatory aspects, the Therapeutic Goods Administration was the natural partner for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade's new Regional Vaccine Access and Health Security Initiative. Given the existing relationship that was developed through the Regulatory Strengthening Program and the Pacific Medicines Testing Program, the COVID-19 vaccine rollout began in PNG on March 30, with 8,480 doses produced by AstraZeneca's European manufacturers and shipped from Australia's supplies. Before this milestone, the TGA worked closely with PSSB and the WHO PNG Country Office to share technical safety and efficacy assessments that bring together the vaccine's clinical trial results, adverse reaction profiles, and other clinical and non-clinical information that regulatory authorities must weigh up before they make decisions about approving a product. We had the experts from TGA um, going through those assessments, and from that assessment, we, we, we learn. We learn from those assessments. We also ask questions, mm. like in terms of trying to identify what are the um, what are the uh, important parameters that we should be considering in the assessment of quality, safety, and efficacy, and which they had to go through it. Even we had to ask uh, questions, repeating questions twice, but they still go through it. So it was, it was good in that way, it sort of, it strengthened and it gives us the confidence to do the assessment. Yeah. So um, what they did was they sent us the assessment reports. Uh, those assessment reports are confidential, which it came through this uh, Australian ICOM and it was uh, delivered to us. And we went through those assessments and from the assessment, seeing the actual assessment, we can also pick up how the assessments are done. And we also learn from it. Yeah. And mm. it, it, was, it was a good opportunity as well. Like we have learned from this, um, from this approval of uh, estrogenical vaccines. And um, if there's going to be a vaccine that is going to be um, coming into PNG, um, the officers can do the assessment. Given that exposure to those uh, assessments that were carried out by TGA, we have um, learned from it and have the confidence in that assessment itself. So we, we, we can be able to do the assessment. And also like um, they, have, they have also um, sent emails as well. So those, those questions, that we sort of feel that we need to get more answers from it, we, we feel free. We, we just send email to them and also we ask Christy and them if they can organize a training for us. So they did. They did conduct several trainings uh, covering quality, covering clinical, non-clinical, and even the risk management. So they were able to go through it. Even some of the questions like, um, for example, with this um, blood clot, we were asking them the questions as well, like, have you picked up um, from your ADR uh, when you were um, uh, rolling out the vaccines? So we feel free to ask questions, like if any, any ADRs that we sort of uh, um, had 
heard from the um, the news or from the other NI, NI, um, national regulatory authorities or other countries, we, we feel free to ask those questions to TGA and they were able to um, respond to them if they have the questions. If they don't have the questions, they said we will um, look for those informations and provide to them. So we, we sort of feel free, we were given the opportunity. It gives us the technical um, know-how of doing that assessment. And we sort of build the confidence as well of, of doing the assessment. Given the ability of the COVID-19 virus to mutate and the need for regulators to support governments in adapting their public health responses, assistance under the Vaccine Access Initiative will continue beyond the initial vaccine approvals. Vali Caro welcomes the support. It's very important for us to continue that in a relationship, especially like a reputable you know, national uh, regulatory authority like TGA and sort of, you know, Learn as much as we can, and 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 also for other other national regular, you know, reputable national regulatory authorities. So because for them, like they've sort of they, they've done that, yeah, in terms of say assessment, uh, they've uh, sort of assessed products that are already on the market, and for for us, you know, it, it wouldn't be sort of a good idea to you know, reinvent the wheel, like, you know, go back and given given the resources that we have. So, uh, I mean, th- those are the sort of uh, arrangements we want to sort of take this, see, see take place, like, you know, just piggyback on what they've already done and, you know, we can sort of take it and then expedite the product registration process. And in the, in the, in the case of the, the vaccine, it, it, it's a new... Like Mary said, it's a new uh, biological, so you would expect, you know, uh, continuing, you know, ADRs to be, to, to come about and, you know, makes it more, more complex in the sense that, you know, it, because it's a virus and then it sort of mutates. So, you know, that gives us, you know, you know, added uh, problems as well. So, you know, and so we would very much rely on, on the expertise of, you know, and reputable NRAs to sort of, you know, co- you know, liaise with them and then for them to provide that, provide that advice, you know, at the you know, most convenient time. Yeah. Australia's hope is that the investment in health system strengthening to respond to COVID-19 will flow into infectious disease resilience for the region. Vali Caro says PNG is actively working to ensure improved treatments for diseases such as TB, malaria, and HIV/AIDS are delivered to its citizens. We are working very closely with the with the programs uh, TB, malaria, HIV, HIV/AIDS, and like, like I mentioned at the you know at the beginning, the, this initiative, uh, the main goal was to combat the challenges challenges of uh, imaging and existing infectious diseases, not only in Australia, but for the, for the region as a whole. So that, that's one of those, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, takeaways, takeaways from that uh, initiative that was launched. So like, like I was saying, we, we make it our priority to work with the programs to, to make sure that, uh, you know, the safety 
not only the safety but the quality yeah quality and efficacy of the the, the medicines uh, sort of uh, should come uh, as a priority to us and i think we also we've also worked together with uh, other partners like uh, well vision you know in terms of uh, testing the the quality of the medicines at the, at the lab lab as well and you know, if there's a need we can also uh, utilize the arrangement that uh, tgas with us to to test those medicines to ensure that those uh, medicines that are circulating on the market are you know of the desired quality in this episode from Papua New Guinea's Pharmaceutical Services Standards Branch, we heard from Acting Manager Bali Caro and Product Registration Technical Advisor Mary Curry. We've been joined by the Head of Australia's Therapeutic Goods Administration, Adjunct Professor John Skerritt. I'm Robin Davies, Head of the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. Join us in a fortnight for the next episode of Contain This. Contain This.